Welcome to Out of the Ether, Episode 3. I'm still your host, Tim Brink. Very happy to be here, and even happier to have you here with me. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to talk uh, about a podcast that I came across called Choose Your Struggle, hosted by Jay Schiffman. And each year, over 125,000 Americans die from overdose and suicide combined, and those are just two of the causes of death that are attributed to substance misuse and mental health. Um, these people, they're our friends, our neighbors, our family members. They go to our churches, eat at our favorite restaurants, sit next to us at our favorite sporting events, or maybe in the theater when the day comes we all get to go back to, to movie theaters. Uh, sometimes they're the people talking to us through our podcast. There's massive changes that need to take place in this country in how we support and how we deal with mental health issues. Uh, I think anybody that's been paying attention has seen those numbers skyrocket since the beginning of this pandemic. It's a serious, serious issue in our country, and it needs conversation because that's where solutions start from, our open and honest conversations. And Jay has the experience, strength, and hope to host those conversations, and he does so on a weekly basis. It's an excellent, excellent podcast, and I highly recommend anybody that wants to join that conversation and be a part of that solution that you listen to and subscribe to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. And we'll be back in a few moments uh, with episode three of Out of the Ether. to any media for the last 30, uh, it's almost 40 years, uh, you're familiar with that song, although probably not that version. That was an early demo recording of the song Gypsy that later was re recorded by Fleetwood Mac, uh, written by Stevie Nicks, and that's the song that we're going to talk about this week. Uh, why Stevie Nicks? Why this song? One, I think it's a great song. Um, Stevie's one of the best I should say Miss Nicks. I don't know her personally. Being a little too casual. Um, but uh, Stevie Nicks is one of the most prolific and successful songwriters in, in my generation. And um, for a long time, she was my neighbor. Uh, I live in shouting distance of Camelback Mountain in Phoenix, Arizona, which is where she was born and raised um, and used to have a home uh, on Camelback Mountain. I think she's lived in Los Angeles now. Um, but instead of me spent a lot of time talking about it, and I will, I'll point out some things as we go from the early demo and some different iterations of this song into what the final became, um, I thought it'd be more interesting to let Stevie tell us about Gypsy. 
velvet underground back to the floor, which means my bed went back on the floor with the paper flowers and the, you know, um, there's just a part of that that there will never be again, except it, it does live in my house because that's, it, it was so special. It is a lot about returning to San Francisco and Gypsy was written when my best friend died of leukemia. And uh, about the fact that she wasn't going to see the rest of this. I still see your bright eyes. It was like she wasn't going to make it. And uh, so I was the lone gypsy. This was my best friend from when I was 15. And so I was no, I was a solo gypsy all of a sudden. And it was very sad for me. And that's sometimes when I write my very best song. And that is an incredibly common thing uh, amongst all songwriters that I've ever spoken to, any interviews I've ever, ever watched, listened to. Um, out of strong emotion comes strong creativity. And uh, not that you can't have a fun, one-off summertime hit. Seems like every summer brings one out um, that's very pop culture significant. But those don't tend to live on. Um, they exist for a moment in time and can be incredibly popular. And then they fade away. And I think the difference is strong emotion is something that's shared across all humanity. And the key to, to songs, you look at the Beatles, um, and generation after generation keeps rediscovering and listening to the Beatles. And I think they're as relevant today as they were when those songs were recorded. Um, and that's because of the ability of uh, the Beatles to, to speak uh, a language, uh, share emotions, share situations uh, in their life, a lot of times on a very personal level, and do it in a way that's connected to the listener. Um, and they connect usually on an emotional level. Uh, Stevie Nicks' ability to discuss, you know, what's going on in her life. Um, those, that song, like almost all songs, came from her very personal experiences and was able to relay those in a way that resonated with people, that connected with people. And it obviously came from some very strong emotion on her part. And that's something that we all share as long as the, the songwriter can convey it in a way that makes sense to us, you know, and we feel it. And uh, yeah, I think the other thing with Stevie Nicks is uh, truly one of the most recognizable <laughs> voices probably ever in rock and music, but she has a very emotive voice. Um, when she sings, uh, I mean, she could probably be singing a, a TV commercial uh, and you still, it kind of, it, it, it hits you in a way that I don't think other, other vocalists do, you know, her style, her phrasing, um, and just her voice itself. You know, it always feels like it's going to kind of explode or implode. Um, she kind of, you feel like she's pushing right on the edge there. And that is something that, for me, uh, I always kind of connected to when I listened to her. It, it drew me in, you know. There was something very mysterious and mystical about the way she sang, and it always kind of felt like, ah, man, she's right on the edge here. She's right on the edge. I, I don't think she probably ever was. Um, she's an excellent singer. But you kind of had that feeling, um, which, again, it speaks to emotion. You know, they take you on a journey with them, the great songwriters, the great singers, the great performers. So what I'd love to do now is play for you an early studio version of the song Gypsy.
Something will happen to me, whether it's something that happens to me, whether it's uh, a man walks by me and just smiles at me in a certain way that just makes me go, what a beautiful smile that was, you know. Then I just might go and, and write, you know, and go, the smile was the only thing I saw, dot, dot, dot. And there I'm, I'm off then. You know, it's like then my poem has begun. And if the poem gets finished, if it's laying around the house and the poem gets finished, then, and, I, and I think it's good, then I'll go sit at the piano and I'll make it into a song. So I want to stop um, this track right there. Um, you can hear the guitar part that Lindsey Buckingham's playing, and uh, I think it's recognizable from the final song, but yet it's not the same. And how those things kind of grow over time, and how as musicians, you know, we're sitting there and we're kind of jamming through things, and, and trying first you're trying to figure out this, the basic kind of foundation and structure of the song, and then once you get that done, then it's like, well, what if I add this, and what if I add that, and what if I change this, and you know, you start playing around with it and then a lot of the production that goes into it. And a lot of that happens in the studio. Uh, you come in with the basics and you go, hey, here's the, here's the formats, here's the verse, the pre-chorus, the chorus, the bridge. This is how this song lays out. Uh, these are all the parts. And then many times it's the band themselves as they, as they start recording that goes, oh, I need to add this and I want to add this part. And, uh, and many times it's the producer. Uh, we could have a lot of episodes just on producers, and we'll probably have a few on, on some specific producers. Um, but I stopped there because I want to play you what that guitar part actually wound up sounding like. And listening back to the early version again. So I think when you're able to listen to the early studio recording uh, versus the final version like we just did, you can definitely tell that, that that's the same guitar part um, or a similar guitar part. And you can hear, you know, where it started and the idea was there. And it, it wasn't a huge departure uh, later into the final, but it's definitely different. There's a corded kind of sliding um, end to the part in the early version that, that is not there in the final. The final version is actually kind of simplified. Um, but I wanted to call that out specifically because so often in songs, it's not the chorus uh, and it's not the, the vocals. It's not the singing that becomes the earworm and the earworm being, you know, an expression when, when a piece of music gets in your head and you just can't get rid of it. <laughs> earworm is what everybody that writes songs is shooting for. We all want those earworms. Um, because that's when uh, downloads become into the billions, you know. Uh, every, nobody can get enough of it. A uh, perfect example of that is uh, Take On Me by the band AHA that was released back in the 80s. And if you're listening right now and you go, oh, I don't think I know that song, uh, just go to YouTube, uh, click on uh, or pull up Take On Me by AHA, and about five seconds into it, you'll go, oh, yeah, I know that song. 
Um, I think there's few people that don't. But it's not that the chorus isn't well known um, and somewhat iconic at this point, but it's the keyboard riff in that song to me that was really the earworm and the hook of that song and what's driven it to be one of the top pop songs ever written um, and continuing on and having a life that's, you know, what, almost 30 years, 40 years old now. That's incredible. Um, matter of fact, that song, I haven't heard anybody uh, say this, although it was really obvious to me the first time I heard The Weeknd, uh, was it Blinding Lights or Blinding Light, uh, which I think is a great song. But as soon as I heard it, I'm like, oh, somebody remade Take On Me. <laughs> so hopefully AHA's getting the cut of that song. Um, but the point in all that, and what's really fun when you're, when you're listening to music, and particularly when you get to listen to early versions um, and different versions, you know, as a song grows and changes, is hearing where ideas start musically and then where they end up musically. The other thing that jumped out to me on the early version of this song is the bass playing. And to me, it was very reminiscent of a different uh, Fleetwood Mac song. You can go your own way. Gypsy. Uh, the bass is, is pretty straightforward, uh, not very frantic. There's not a lot of energy. By the way, uh, John McVie is an incredible bass player and uh, somebody that I like to listen to to get inspired and steal from. <laughs> John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin being another one. Uh, Victor Wooten. My list could go on and on and on. Uh, I don't play like Victor Wooten, but I love to listen to him, and I have stolen some ideas from him over the years. But what uh, jumped out to me when I was listening to that early um, studio version of Gypsy, I was listening to the bass, there was a certain energy to it. Um, Frantic's maybe a little uh, over overdramatic to describe it, but there definitely was kind of an energy to the playing and uh, the, the attack of the notes. And, I'm, and in my head, I'm like, ah, that's, that sounds familiar. Um, sounds like another song. What is that? And then it, it dawned on me. I'm like, go your own way had that kind of bouncy attacking bass going on in the background there that I really, really like. Um, so again, and these songs were recorded many, many years apart with Go Your Own Way being an earlier version. And I think it's probably common for all of us to uh, revisit earlier successes in life. You know, you'd had a great bass line on a hit song uh, approximately six years earlier and, you know, said, oh, well, maybe that's the place to start. <laughs> but it's not where it ended up. Um, again, you know, the process and where, where we start to where we wind up and all those steps along the way. So um, let's go back and listen to Stevie talk a little bit more about Gypsy. Gypsy was written when I another time when I moved out of a big house into a really small house and I put my bed on the floor and just decorated it totally, totally Gypsy-esque and really funky and because I really wanted to get away from the big time like this, very sophisticated home. I just wanted to go back to my roots. And that's what, you know, so I'm back to the Velvet Underground, back to the floor that I love, to a room with some lace and paper flowers, back to the gypsy that I was. And as you listen to the various interview clips uh, from Stevie Nicks talking about Gypsy, it's obvious this is an incredibly personal song. Um, she was talking there in, in other clips too about uh, the physical space that she was in, mattress on the floor, you know, I'm back on the floor. Um, how the room was decorated, and that really becomes a lot of the first verse of the song. But I think it, it you know, it's, it's much deeper than that. 
closest friend in the world's passing away from leukemia, um, how life changes and, and the, how transient life is, you know, for Stevie Nicks herself, never having children. Uh, and I know she said in interviews, it's because, you know, my, my passion, my mission uh, in life was to share my music. And uh, it was all consuming. And that was the direction I was going to go. And that's where my time was going to be spent. I think she was married maybe once, uh, very briefly. Uh, so the, the building of a, of a family and of a personal life and the things that tend to root us uh, and cause us to stay put in one place uh, weren't going to be a part of her life. She's eternally been a gypsy. Uh, and of all the songs that she's written, and she's written uh, many, many great, great songs, over the years, um, this may wind up being the most autobiographical of them all. And that's why I think even to this day, it's a very personal, very important song to her, as evidenced by a recent um, recording that she did of this song acoustically, just her and the piano. One, two, three. So I'm back to the velvet. Listen to that clip, which was recorded, uh, I think, in 2019, so very recently. Um, you still feel uh, that, or you still get the impression, listening to it, that this is a deeply personal song uh, to Stevie Nicks. And I'm sure, as we've listened to the interview clips now, and we've listened to iterations of the song, and I've chimed in my two cents worth, um, I think we all realize that this song does have a lot of meaning to her and speaks very much to the life that she's lived over her, I think she's 72 years old now. Uh, if you've seen her, she looks like she's 32. Absolutely amazing. And um, equally as important, she sounds uh, just as great as she did uh, back in her 20s and 30s in the heyday of Fleetwood Mac. So it's incredible uh, that anyone could have such a long career and still at this stage be performing at such a high level and uh, going out there consistently just killing it for audiences. Now, one more thought is I want to leave everybody with. I was having a conversation with a friend recently about this, and uh, I remembered back to many, many years ago <laughs> when I was in college, and a professor, English professor, talking about The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway and how that story uh, is a simple story. An old man, a fisherman, goes out in his boat and uh, winds up catching the, the great fish 
you know, of his life, the biggest catch ever and the struggles that ensue in trying to get that fish, uh, you know, into the boat and then not in the boat, but at least back to shore and in the end isn't successful. But then on another level, it's a, it's a metaphor, uh, the story of Jesus on the cross and the position that the man was in. And anyway, the bottom line is um, uh, by the end of that class, I think there's you know, maybe 20 people in that class and there might be about 18 at least <laughs> different opinions on what that story represented. And that's the same thing uh, in all of storytelling, good storytelling. Um, is that it's it's open to interpretation for the listener. And that's what I love about creating music and particularly about listening and consuming music. Uh, Gypsy is literally the first verse. She's on the floor, back on the floor. Well, that's because she literally was on the floor. <laughs> she got a new place and didn't have a bed yet. And the mattress was on the floor, um, you know, surrounded by paper lace and, and paper flowers and lace. Um, that's literally the way the room was decorated. She was telling us about her physical surroundings. Um, yet, I know for me, until I listened to these interviews, in my mind, I always thought, well, I'm, I'm back on the floor. It's like life has knocked me down again. And I've got to climb back up and get off the floor and go fight. And you know, So I had a very different impression and interpretation of the song. And I still have that same interpretation because that's what I hear when I hear her singing it. And I think that's part of what uh, makes this is a, ph a phenomenal song that's stood the test of time because everybody can listen to it, interpret it for whatever it, it means to them, and it can be taken on a whole lot of, whole lot of levels. But now we all know there's a literal <laughs> level to this song about uh, moving into a new apartment or a new house. So maybe next time we're listening to our favorite song, uh, we can just take the lyrics for what they say. And normally at this time, I introduce a world premiere of a new song. But today, I'm going to introduce Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac, and Gypsy. Mm -hmm. 